It's good to see all of you this evening, and uh, it is a joy to be able to bring you the preaching of the Word. And this evening's message comes to us tonight from uh, Proverbs chapter 19, and we'll be looking at verses 16 through 23. So let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 19, and I'll begin reading in verse 16. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word, beginning in Proverbs 19, verse 16. Hear now the word of God. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. A fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would shine the light of the wisdom of Christ upon our path, that your word in the gospel would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and that though that light may not illumine every single fact in this universe, we nevertheless know that it supplies us with the wisdom that we need for every decision that we make in this life, and for every situation in which we face. We pray, Lord, to this end, that you would grant unto us wisdom, that you would grant unto us the knowledge that comes in Christ, that you would give unto us humility to heed your wisdom and counsel, and that we would not take our own counsel, but rather we would submit to yours. And in this way, you would not only conform us to the image of your Son and equip us for every good work, but, O Lord, that you would bring unto yourself glory. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I can remember when my wife and I were expecting our first child, our oldest. There was uh, no shortage of advice that we received. Uh, We received a number of parenting books as gifts. And people gave us advice, both solicited and unsolicited how should you, you know, put, what kind of nap schedule should you have? What kind of feeding schedule should you have? Uh, what kind of uh, this and that, crib mats, you, you name it. We got all sorts of advice. But receiving advice about raising children really isn't anything new. And it's something essentially that Solomon presents us here in the passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 19. If you recall the overall setting of the book of Proverbs, it's Solomon and his wife sitting down with his sons as he imparts unto them counsel and wisdom. And while Solomon aims a lot of the counsel that he gives uh, to his sons, at the same time that we can say that he's counseling more than his sons, there's a sense in which we can say that he's counseling them as children, 
but he's also counseling them as future fathers. We could say the same thing for us and that as we, if you will, sit around the table and listen to Solomon's advice, so much of his counsel is not just for his sons, but it's for the community of God. And in this case, for parents who are seeking to raise uh, godly children. But at the same time, we mustn't think that Solomon's counsel to parents is uh, irrelevant if we're no longer parents. Uh, Parents never cease being parents, no matter how old their children become. And children, as I said, often grow up to become parents. Uh, Grandparents may not be the first line of defense in uh, the battle of parenting, but they're often uh, responsible for a lot of parenting that they conduct along the way as they spend time with their grandchildren. Moreover, we can also think that as we baptize covenant youth into the church, uh, we know that all of us in some sense assume a quasi-parenting role as we agree to hold these children, these covenant children, accountable to their baptism. And so all of us, all of us in some sense have to sit down and listen to this counsel that Solomon gives about the nature of parenting. Now, as we consider Solomon's counsel, I want to invoke a Pauline metaphor uh, that he applied to establishing churches. And I think it helps us not only see the nature of Solomon's counsel, but it's also going to help us, I think, to organize uh, the material that we have. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so I want to take this metaphor of the idea of planting, planting. And I want, it to, I want to use it as a way of organizing what Solomon says here in these verses. And I want us to consider first planting the seeds of godliness in our children. Secondly, we want to give thought to cultivating godliness. And then third and finally, We want to uh, think about harvesting godliness. So we want to think of this in terms of planting, cultivating, and harvesting. So let's first give attention to what Solomon has to say about planting godliness in our children. When Paul spoke of planting a church, he likened it unto planting a seed. And we see, I think, this type of activity here in the way that Solomon counsels parents. He says in verse 16, he says, whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Or in verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. I think there's a sense in which we can say that these two verses, verse 16 and 23, bookend this particular section in Solomon's Proverbs. And that Solomon points out the relationship between keeping the commandments and eternal life versus despising the ways of God and thus meriting judgment. So once again, we have to remember the overall context of the book of Proverbs and the overall setting. It's not, we don't want to engage in a decontextualized, bald reading of the text. 
You know, because at first glance, it may give the appearance that what Solomon is saying, well, if you obey, you'll receive eternal life. If you disobey, you'll receive eternal judgment. But remember, Solomon's counsel comes in the middle of the Old Testament, in the midst of the promises that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And it comes in the context where God had promised Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, that he would gather the Israelites from the nations where he had dispersed them because of their sinfulness and because of their exile, and that he would circumcise their hearts and that he would cause them to love him with all of their hearts, with all of their souls, and with all of their might. In other words, the underlying assumption in Solomon's council are the covenant promises of the gospel. And the only way that we can keep the laws of God in any shape, form, or fashion is in the power and grace of the gospel of Christ. Therefore, I think we can say that one of the most fundamental truths of good parenting is to continually plant the seeds of the gospel in the lives of our children. Just because our children grow up in the cradle of the church and sit regularly under the preaching of the word uh, doesn't mean that we should fail to preach the gospel to them every single opportunity that we get. And there are multiple ways in which we do this. Do we preach the gospel to them with the words that we say? Equally important, do we preach the gospel with our lives and that how we actually live? Can our children visibly see the gospel manifest in our actions? In other words, to put it very simply and colloquially, does our walk match our talk? Do they see us, for example, on our knees pleading for the mercy of God in our lives? Do they see us when we sin visibly pleading for the forgiveness that we receive through the gospel of Christ? When we sin against our children, do they see us asking them, son or daughter, will you please forgive me for sinning against you? It was wrong of me to do so. Or is our Christianity and in our gospel living, is that only something that we do on Sundays and then the rest of the week we live un indistinguishably from any other ordinary person? I think if we make the effort to preach the gospel to our children, then they're going to see that they will only have eternal life through the gospel of Christ and through Christ's obedience. And that Christ will therefore be the only source throughout their life. In other words, it's only Christ working in them that they will have eternal life. And they will typically only see that if we manifest it in our words, if we manifest it to our children in our deeds. In other words, if we preach the gospel to our children in our words and deeds, thereby planting the seeds of the gospel in their lives. Another way to put this as we can say is that uh, obedience 
is only the fruit, not the cause of our uh, salvation. You know, we, we want to say that good works are the fruit of our salvation, not its cause. And so this is something that we ultimately have to live before our children. We have to teach it to them. You know, so often it's the case, and I'll talk about this in greater length in a moment, is that when we discipline our children, we often just give them the law. You've violated the law. You've sinned. And that's it. And we punish them. Do we also give them the gospel in those situations and say, you've, you've transgressed the law of God. Now, the only way that you can make this right is first by pleading the grace of the gospel and the forgiveness of your sins to Christ. Let's pray together now. And then you need to get up and you need to make things right with the people around you. And the only one that can enable you to live a life consecrated unto Christ so that you don't make the same mistake again is Christ. So not only do you need to plead the forgiveness of your sins, but you also need to plead for Christ to enable you to live in a godly manner, to live in a manner consistent with your union with Christ. Well, Keep this in mind, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted so that we must plant the seeds of the gospel and the truths of Christ's teaching in their lives. But we always have to remember this. It's only God who gives the increase. We'll give greater thought to that as we continue, as we continue on to think about cultivating godliness in the lives of our children. And that the second thing that Solomon highlights is the need to cultivate or to tend to the godliness in the lives of our children. And again, Paul captures this aspect in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, when he says, I planted Apollos watered. In other words, Apollos took the seeds that Paul had planted and he continued to throw the grace of the gospel upon it in the sense that Paul captures it by saying that he watered the the work that Paul had done. So in other words, raising godly Christians is not simply a matter of planting the seeds of the gospel and then walking away and never tending to those seeds. We have to water them. We have to cultivate them. We have to fertilize them. And so in this case, Solomon encourages parents to cultivate wisdom when he says in verse 18, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, once again, let's, let's note the context, because at least at first glance, we might think, is that an option? <laughs> Can we put the child to death? That seems like maybe that doesn't apply anymore. Remember in the laws of Deuteronomy that you could put the rebellious, unrepentant child to death. And so what Solomon is saying is he's saying, don't give up hope. This was a verse that as I was preparing this message, ministered to me and it ministered to my wife There are some days, and I'm sure as parents, you know those days where you think, I don't know if we're going to make it. 
parenting can be that challenging. It's not as if you think, well, I'm ready to give up. But sometimes you think, well, I know my son is 12, but I wonder if the Marines will let him in early. Because you think, I need need somebody else to be able to instill some discipline because I feel as if we're not doing it well. We're failing. And so I texted that verse even to my wife. Discipline your son, for there is hope. There is hope. There's hope. Because sometimes parenting can be a thankless task. You provide, you guide, you preside, and yet the child seems indifferent. You plant the seeds of the gospel and you try to dissuade them from sin, and yet sometimes children seem insistent on engaging in the very type of sin that you are trying to warn them about. And yet Solomon says, don't give up hope. Discipline, correct, cultivate. Because remember, what's the end of discipline? I think for the unbelieving world, discipline is simply about punishment. You violated the law, I'm going to punish you. But for Christians, just like with church discipline, discipline is not, is not really about punishment. It's about correction and turning back the person to the road of righteousness. It's about restoration. It's about reconciliation. It's about reclamation. And so what Solomon says is he says, don't give up hope. Discipline your children. In other words, cultivate the knowledge that you have planted in them, the gospel seeds that you have sown into their hearts. And again, make no mistake about it, though. I think that what Solomon says here is also implied as the idea that discipline sometimes is, is hard work. You know, as, as the wife and I often, you know, as we parent our own children, I'm, I learn, and I haven't really expressed this to my, my children as much as I've expressed it to my wife, is I think sometimes bad parenting is not that you point the child or you refuse to point the child to what is good or that you haven't already pointed the child a hundred or two hundred times in the same direction towards godliness. It's that you lack the energy on that 237th time to say, do this. It's don't, you know, stop it or whatever it is. You lack the energy and you feel like saying, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of saying the same things over and over again. You know, at least for younger children, how many times do you have to say, when you're getting ready for bed, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, Get your pajamas on. I think my wife and I have said those three things hundreds upon, maybe thousands of times. And yet you go up as they're in bed and you say, all right, uh, did you brush your teeth? No. <laughs> like, oh, for the love of humanity. Why not? You know, it's nothing new. It's not like I said, hey, um, you know, go out and mow the yard, you know, and that's a new curveball that I've thrown at you. No, it's the same things. Discipline is hard work. It's hard work. 
Children can be stubborn. Children can be difficult sometimes when it comes to receiving the truth and the cultivation of the disciplined godly life. But as we watered the seeds of the gospel and as we try to cultivate discipline, we have to remember Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We have to pray, oh Lord, give me the energy and the patience that I need. So often in the case of parenting, I think what's going on is that the Lord is teaching both parent and child the discipline of the gospel, which is this. In the life of the child, it's turning the child onto the path of righteousness. And in the life of the parent, the parent is learning patience. The parent is learning self-control. You know, we say, oh, Lord, give me patience. And the Lord says, all right, here you go. Let me give you this difficult child for you to point onto the road. And you think, Lord, that's not what I had in mind. But the Lord says, guess what? Well, this is the way to go about it. But it's the grace of the gospel we have to remember at this point. In other words, that God gives the increase. The grace of the gospel is not merely for the entry point into the Christian life, but rather it's for every single moment thereafter. We need the the grace of the gospel every waking and breathing moment that we have, every sleeping and breathing moment that we have. Such is the case with the cultivation of godliness and wisdom. We must discipline in the power of the gospel. We have to continually point our children to Christ. We have to set the word before them. When we discipline them, we have to ask ourselves, am I only giving them the law? Or am I also pointing them to Christ? You know, so often I think that for many parents, when they discipline, it's all law and no gospel. Do we show our children how they've transgressed the law of God? Do we show them how their conduct is incompatible with their union with Christ? One of the regular lines that I try to teach my children and show them is, in the course of discipline, I say, you realize that you've been baptized into the death of Christ. And in fact, I tell them, I baptized you into the death of Christ. One of the few perks of the job of being a minister, you get to baptize your own children. I say, I baptized you into the into the, the death of Christ. This is incompatible with who you are. Christ has claimed you as his own. Do we pray with them and for them as they seek Christ's forgiveness and as well as the power to change their conduct? Do we preach with our actions? Do they see us repenting of our sin? Do they see us seeking forgiveness when we wrong them? I think so much, and this is an image that regularly comes to mind. I I see this mental picture when I think of parenting and when I contemplate uh, this labor of raising godly children is that I think of it and I liken it unto the blacksmith's work where the blacksmith has to take this raw piece of steel, this raw piece of iron and place it into into the heat of the smelter's furnace until that piece of iron is red, red hot. Think of the heat of all of the work. Think of the heat of discipline. And then in order to get that piece of iron into a shape, even though it's heated red hot, you have to take that hammer and you have to pound it and pound it and pound it into shape until it's in the desired shape. 
But once it's in that desired shape and you cool it, it's virtually unbreakable. And that's what I think of when I think of parenting. I'm not advocating in any way physically pounding a child, you know, as tempting sometimes as that may seem, but rather it's a spiritual act where you're constantly laboring to work the grace and the gospel into the life of the child as you relentlessly push them and present to them and promote the gospel to them. We have to be diligent to cultivate the discipline of God and the power of God's grace in their lives. Now there's going to come times, there's going to come times when the child grows up, remember parenting's a lifelong endeavor, when the child grows up and engages in sin and foolish behavior, we're intervening and putting off the consequences of foolish action can be actually counterproductive. Verse 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. You know, so what Solomon says is he's looking at the long game here. Remember, parenting is a lifelong thing. You never cease being a parent no matter how old your children are. And if you're seeking to do all that you can to plant and cultivate wisdom in your children... Sometimes they can grow up and cast aside the counsel that you give them. And what Solomon is saying is sometimes you have to let them suffer the consequences of when they make foolish decisions. To save a hothead from the penalty of his wrath will not allow that child to learn the consequences of his actions. And so in such circumstances, rather than cultivating wisdom, if we intervene and we keep the child from suffering the consequences of his sin, we're actually prolonging the process. We're enabling them to engage in more foolish conduct rather than letting them learn the lesson of the consequences of their sin. Now, one of the things that may drive us, uh, you know, a little bit to, to frustration here is what he says here in verse 19. Is you say, okay, Solomon, I get your point, but how do we know How do we know when to let a child suffer the consequences of his actions and when to intervene? Well, I think what Solomon would say is he would smile and he would say, it calls for wisdom. And that's where we say, oh, come on, that's not what we want to hear. Give us a set of protocols, a set of procedures And I think what Solomon would say, no, it calls for wisdom, which means you have to be in continual prayer as you parent, not only cultivating wisdom in the life of your child, but as I ordain all of these events in your life, you have to pray for wisdom and continual guidance from me to know best when to intervene, to know best when to stand on the sidelines to know when to protect your child from the consequences of his actions and to know when to let them suffer the consequences of their actions. And so I think that what Solomon is implicitly saying here is that much of parenting, if there's a posture to attach to it, much of parenting takes place on our knees 
when we are in prayer before God, pleading for the wisdom of Christ and the grace of the gospel to know how to do it, when to do it, what to say, if to say anything at all. Well, third and finally, there's planting seeds of wisdom, seeds of the truth, cultivating it. What things can we do to, to cause that wisdom to grow in our children? But third and finally, we ultimately want to look forward to the harvest of wisdom. You know, in the opening of Paul's letter to the Romans, he shows the end result of planting and cultivating wisdom in Romans 1.5, where he talks about hearing about the Romans, about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all of the nations. In other words, you plant all of this wisdom in their lives. You cultivate this wisdom so that we can see a harvest of obedience, a harvest of righteousness. And so the Old Testament even speaks in these terms. In the fifth chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about God's relationship to Israel, which in other ways has been likened unto the father's relationship to a child is that in the fifth chapter, he says, I, I planted my vineyard. I cultivated it. You know, I, I put a hedge around it. I built a tower within it. I watered it. And he says, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, verse 7, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God looked upon his vineyard as he planted and cultivated, and he did not see righteousness and the fruit of godliness. He saw wickedness but for those who are united to christ the true vine we know that we can expect a harvest of fruit in john 15 5 we read i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides uh, in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing and so solomon showcases the harvest of wisdom in several different ways he talks in verse 17, for example, about kindness. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. A sign of wisdom is how a person treats those who are beneath him, whether socially or in terms of their age or in terms of their economic status. In raising a child in the wisdom of Christ by planting the seeds of the gospel and cultivating them, the child learns to live in the presence of God. Coram Deo. He learns that everything belongs to the Lord. He doesn't turn wealth into an idol, but rather he sees it as a tool. This great wealth is something that I can use to bring glory to God. And then in this case, when he sees someone in need, he's generous with his time. He's generous with his money and resources because in the end, he knows it all comes from God. Why? Because he's had the seeds of wisdom, the seeds of Christ's gospel planted in his heart. He has had his parents cultivating this wisdom, watering this wisdom with the grace of God, with prayers, with scripture, with godly counsel, so that when he encounters the poor person, he does not see somebody who is beneath him. He sees a fellow image bearer. He's someone who is in, in need of help. He recognizes that he himself has been the recipient of God's grace, and therefore he wants to dispense it to others. But once again, this is where we have to beware of formalism. In other words, somebody can be very benevolent to the poor, 
But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I'm nothing. And so in other words, this kindness to the poor has to be motivated and come from the source of our union with Christ. In other words, being joined to the vine. It's not just simply uh, a benevolence to the poor. That in and of itself is a form of civic righteousness, but it's not the fruit of godliness that we're looking for. It's not this harvest of wisdom that we're looking for. This is why Solomon says in verse 22, what is desired in a man is steadfast love. And a poor man is better than a liar. Here Solomon speaks of what's a term, when he speaks of love, it's a specific term in the Old Testament that's often translated as covenant faithfulness or covenant love. In other words, what he's saying is what is desired in a man is the love that comes from God in Christ through the Spirit. It comes through the gospel. And this is why he says it's better to be poor than a liar. In other words, better to be a lowly plumber who loves the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who seeks to glorify Christ in all that he does than to be a wealthy CEO who has a six-car garage and all sorts of material blessings, but he's a liar and he's a cheat. Solomon also says in verses 20 and 21, he, he speaks about the harvest of the fruit of humility. He says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The wise child will learn humility because ideally he first sees it in Christ. He sees it modeled on a daily basis in his parents. And by God's grace, he seeks to live out this same Christ-like humility, and thus he seeks godly counsel. Think, for example, as to how ignoring godly counsel wreaked havoc in Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 12, when Rehoboam was seeking counsel as to how he should rule, should he lighten the workload? Should he increase the workload? And he listened to the, 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 the godly, older, wise men, and they said, you need to lighten the burden. And then he listened to the counsel of the younger men and said, you need to increase the burden. And so what did he do? He listened to the inexperience and the foolish counsel of the young rather than the wise counsel of the, of the old men of Israel. And he told the people, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. We know what the end result was. He tore the kingdom in two. How different would have things been if Rehoboam had listened to the wiser, older men of Israel rather than the foolish younger men? The wise person heeds counsel. He doesn't take too much of his own counsel. And yes, he makes his plans, but he always does so what was what's called in English translation under the stipulation of James, sub conditio Jacobi, which is something that comes to us from the book of James. When he writes in James 4 verses 13, come now, 
you who say tomorrow, uh, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so what Solomon is saying is that if we have planted the seeds of the gospel of Christ, if we've planted wisdom in the hearts of our children, if we cultivated it, then some of the harvest that we should see in terms of the fruit is not only a kindness to the poor, but also a humility before the presence of God in saying, yeah, I want to make my plans, but ultimately my hands, my life, my job, my desires are ultimately subject to God's providence. And so if he wills, we'll be able to, I'll be able to do these things. But if he doesn't, well then praise be to God wherever he directs me. Kindness and humility are only a small part of the rich harvest of wisdom that ultimately comes from the grace of God in Christ, that grace that we seek to plant and cultivate in the lives of our children. There's a saying attributed to John Wayne. It's one of my favorites. Life's tough. It's a lot tougher if you're stupid. Very true. It's kind of one of those self-evident sayings that you really don't have to prove. It's just evident. Well, if I can borrow the statement, but just tweak it just a little, parenting is tough. It's a lot tougher if you're foolish. Foolish parenting is when a person relies upon his own strength and wisdom. Wise parenting is when we rely upon God's wisdom and the grace of God in Christ. So the very wisdom that we need so desperately and we have to seek Christ in prayer and through the means of grace is the very thing that we should seek to implant in the lives of our children, no matter how old they are. So beloved in Christ, seek to cultivate and plant the gospel wisdom in our children so that we can reap a harvest of God-glorifying wisdom in their lives as well as in our own. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for the wisdom of Christ. Despite your transcendence and the height of your glory and the infinite depths of your wisdom, you stoop low to us in Christ through the incarnation and you give unto us words of life and wisdom, not only for eternal life, but for our day-to-day -day living. You help us to see the importance, O oh Lord, of raising our children in a godly manner, pointing them to Christ and to your promises in him. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us the wisdom to raise our children well, to guide them well. We pray, O oh Lord, for the diligence that we need because sometimes it can be very challenging labor. So often we feel as if we strive, we plant, we cultivate, and we see little to no fruit. But, O oh Lord, we cling fast to your promises when you tell us to discipline our sons and not to give up hope. We pray, therefore, that as long as our children have breath in their lungs, that we would seek to cultivate wisdom in them, that we would pray for them, that we would intercede for them, that we would um, seek out your wisdom in Christ for us, that we would have patience 
and that we would have long suffering so that we could model the very thing that we are encouraging them to pursue. So that in all of us, O oh Lord, whether young or old, parent or child, you would produce in us the righteousness of Christ and that it all would bring glory to you, that we would be wise so that we might bring glory to the triune God. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.